century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, taken deep mid wicket. Glenn Maxwell celebrates here at Cole. He cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. I'm Dean Duplessis and it is great to be with you again. And today we're going to be catching up with one of Ireland's finest cricketers and a man who's also beginning to make his way quite nicely in the commentary box as well and rightly so as well. Former Ireland wicketkeeper Niall O'Brien. Niall, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. It's wonderful to finally join you and uh, interact with all your, your listeners. So looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're currently in the UAE where you'll be following the ongoings between the, the island and the UAE. It's been a, a bit of an interesting time, though, hasn't it, in terms of matches possibly not being able to be played and, and everything else? Yeah, it's been tricky, I must say, for, for the Ireland boys. You know, they've they've done everything they can do in terms of quarantining before they left Ireland and then whilst they got to the UAE and then unfortunately a fair few of the UAE players went down with COVID so um, there was a lot of kicking of heels as it were for the Ireland team but uh, they've had two games, they lost one which was rather surprising without disrespecting the UAE side I thought Ireland would comfortably beat them but um, you know Fair play to UE. Game one in the ODI was excellent. They chased down a good score of the UE and won easily in the end. But yesterday, Ireland had some revenge. They had a comfortable win. And um, Sidney Singh had a fantastic game, scoring a 50 and taking five wickets. So, uh, yeah, Ireland are in good stead and they've had good preparation now ahead of the Afghanistan ODIs. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's going to be a, a fascinating series between Ireland and uh, Afghanistan, something, a series that everybody will be w- uh, waiting with bated breath to actually watch. Tell us a bit about Simi Singh. I mean, th- those figures, five, uh, 10 overs, five maidens, five wickets for 10 runs, uh, that's pretty astonishing. So he's a leg spinner, we know that, but um, does he, does he, is, he not, is he not afraid to toss the ball up? What, what, what is his, um, I suppose, his, his success in terms of bowling? No, he's actually he's, he bowls off spin. So right, off spin. Uh, right, um, right, right, right. He's generally he's generally an off spin bowler. He is he actually is practicing his leg spin as well, and on occasion does bowl some leg spinners. I think about two years ago, three years ago maybe, whilst in India playing against Afghanistan, he was watching Rashid Khan bowl and started to practice his leg spinners. But generally, he bowls off spin, fairly flat. Right. Uh, not a huge turn of the ball, but there was some purchase yesterday for Simi, so he got a little bit out of the wicket. Generally bowls very miserly, you know, old-fashioned into the wicket, um, stump to stump. Um, and figures are amazing, you know. I'm one, I'm always looking at figures, and I, I always find these kind of stats amazing. How some bowler can get away with bowling 10 overs so cheaply. Uh, obviously, 10, 10 overs, 5 for 10, but even you know, 20 or 25 or 30 in a one-day game yes. really gets me going, because how a batsman can't kind of connect once or twice and hit a couple into the stands or, you know, a top edge going past leg stump, something, but absolutely nothing. Um, remarkable figures. He was an interesting character, Simi. Uh, came into the Ireland side, you know, three or four years ago at the back end of his career. Very confident guy. 
um, you know, knew what he wanted to do, knew how he played his game. It's taken him a while to uh, find his feet as a batsman for Ireland. You know, he scored a lot of runs at club level and in the first class and interprovincial level, he was quite dominant. But for some reason, early stage of his Ireland career really struggled uh, with the bat. Never really seemed to play his natural game, which is an attacking game. So I'm kind of hoping yesterday's innings is going to be the, the catapult for his batting with Ireland. And it gives Ireland another option. If he can bat seven or eight and contribute good runs, um, he's another weapon for Andrew Balverney and his, and his team to have up their sleeve, especially with the emergence of people like Curtis Camphor and Gareth Delaney in that middle order. Uh, absolutely, he sounds like a wonderful find for for Ireland cricket, and and it seems to me that there's a couple of of up and coming players, but like Zimbabwe, Nile, it just seems to me that Ireland just don't get enough game time. So just as you get a bit of momentum, uh, you know, then then the series comes to an end, and it feels like an eternity. And and I'm not including COVID. I'm, I'm putting COVID aside, where Ireland actually played together as a team. So a fair amount of your cricketers actually are fortunate enough to to play county cricket or indeed have played county cricket at some point. But I'm, I guess I'm saying collectively as the island team, I'm sure you'd love to be playing a lot more cricket than what you currently are now. Well, I think 20, yeah, 2021 is very packed. You know, there's there's an overlay from, from last year. So there's pictures to be kind of... Um, caught up on as it were so I think 2021 is looking very promising you know all being all being well in the world with travel etc um, I think you know going back to my career I was very lucky to play county cricket for 15 yeah. years so you know I was always busy um, with with my county cricket and then go back and play for Ireland I think uh, the, guy, the guys would like to play a lot more uh, competitive cricket whether that be international or first class domestic uh, cricket back home you know, at the moment, you know, the big, the big issue really, not necessarily meant international cricket, but it's the gulf in class between the first class and domestic system in Ireland up to international level. At the moment, it's too vast. So Ireland, you know, they're desperate to try and bridge that gap somehow. Um, I think the last three, two, three, four years has been promising with the Wolves setup. I think the Ireland Wolves, which is basically the Ireland A side, are getting more competitive cricket. So... Therefore, people like, you know, Tector and Garrett Delaney and these guys that are coming into the international side, they have a lot of cricket under their belt um, at the Wolves level, whether it be playing county second level or going overseas uh, to play tours overseas. So that gap is being bridged. Um, whether they need more cricket, I think the, the future tours program now will give Ireland more cricket, white ball cricket in relation to World Cup qualification. So the, the agenda is looking, looking better, I must say, for an Ireland cricketer. I'd like to talk about the upcoming series against Afghanistan. It's, it's a series that I'm certainly going to be following very, very closely. Um, but the, before we talk about what you think the outcome would be, it, it's wonderful or it's interesting to observe the way that these two countries, Ireland and Afghanistan, have gone about, um, I suppose, getting themselves on the world map in cricketing terms. So. It appears to me Ireland wanted to take the route of, of becoming more of a one-day and a T20 outfit, and the results are, are showing because of the fact that a number of their players are now actually playing in very big T20 tournaments around the world. Ireland took uh, a, a slightly different approach, and they were desperately hoping to to progress as a test-playing nation. Well, fine, I mean, both teams now have their, their test status, which is wonderful, obviously, for, for the game in general. But um, it appears to me that uh, that team the, the two teams took very 
different approaches. Afghanistan, very aggressive and at times maybe a little a bit too enthusiastic, a bit tempestuous, uh, whereas Ireland took the more mercurial and more, I suppose, traditional route in reaching their, their goal, so to speak. Um, well, yeah, yes and no, I suppose. I think Warren Dutrum, the, the chief executive of Cricket Ireland, had a vision for Ireland to gain test status by a certain period of time. And that was, I think with that vision, there was also the, the ploy or the, I suppose, the um, the energy to try and attract sponsorship um, with that in mind. You know, in Ireland, there was obviously, you know, you know some people, brands, etc., who wanted to get involved in that. So I think that was always... There's always one eye on on the kind of commercial uh, revenue, to try and bring on board some you know particular sponsors. I think you know, with all due respect to Afghanistan and their fantastic side, you know, we we kind of had one day cricket in Ireland. White ball cricket was probably further advanced earlier than Afghanistan. Now Afghanistan have overtaken Ireland now, but you know we go back to you know the early 2000s when Ireland you know were qualifying for the World Cup in the West Indies, etc. Um, playing some really strong cricket, white ball cricket back then. Um, so I think, you know, Afghanistan probably came on the scene a little bit later um, and they've got a wonderful white ball side. And the, as you mentioned, they've got some cricketers playing, you know, the biggest and the best tournaments around the world. So, you know, why wouldn't they, you know, be strong in the, in the white ball department? Saying that, I think if they play test cricket regularly, Afghanistan will get very strong at test cricket as well. But test cricket's a very difficult, very difficult and very different beast to the white ball arena. So I think it's slightly different routes, but I think for Ireland, you know, as a team, when I played for the team, this is, we always had one eye in the World Cups. We always wanted to qualify for the World Cups and play on the big stage. So I think there was always um, the vision of white ball success and it was almost the dream of test cricket, as it were, as a player. Uh, Administration-wise, it may be slightly different, but as a player, it was always the World Cup was our target. How do we get to the World Cup? Right, we're at the World Cup. How do we dominate these teams? How do we turn over a few bigger nations and put ourselves on the world map again? Because there was almost a period in between World Cups where at Ireland Cricketer, you were almost a little bit idle, you know, going back kind of 10 years or so. There was always that kind of a little bit of a dormant period where mm. you, know, you were playing fixtures, but there wasn't really that much relevance to them. Now it's a lot different. There's, there's relevance nearly on every single fixture. Every set of eyes in the world are watching every game, even the UAE Ireland games, there will have been people all around the world, whether it be international size, analysts, franchises, watching these players play and um, trying to pick out one for the future. So uh, I think now it's, it's better. There's a good drive behind every game and these Afghanistan games are massive. Uh, they certainly are, because you alluded already alluded to the fact that they've made massive strides uh, in the white ball department. So... I mean, Zimbabwe have certainly found the going quite difficult when playing Afghanistan, probably because of the fact that they really struggled to play uh, the spinners, you know, but just in terms of strike rotation. So from a Zimbabwean perspective, they, they really struggle. They either try and hit them out of the ground or they just continuously block them. And there's only a couple of batsmen who've been able to successfully, um, I suppose, rotate the striker. I mean, Rashid Khan is a world beater of that. There is no doubt. You, you've named... He's named uh, the, the the player of the decade and uh, in 2010 in terms of, of of T20 cricket. So he's doing a lot of things right. So how do you think Ireland 
would be able to overturn <laughs> Afghanistan continuously and not only win one game, but actually win the series. In which department do you feel Ireland would be able to outplay Afghanistan? Well, you know, Ireland have three very good players to spin bowling. Um, in Paul Sterling, Andrew Balberti and Kevin O'Brien. So there's straight away they've got three players who one play spin very well, which is what you're going to come up against against Afghanistan. You know, you're going to get probably 30 overs of spin, maybe even 35. You're going yeah. to get Rashid bowling as 10. You're going to get Mohammed Nabi bowling as 10. You're going to have Mujib probably bowling as 10. Um, all those three players I've mentioned, Marland, Paul Sterling, Kevin O'Brien, and Andrew Balberni, have all had good success against Afghanistan. So there'll be absolutely no fear from that point of view, whether it's a strike rotation or whether it's boundary hitting. Um, you know, there's three players there that can score and score big against Afghanistan. And there is respect from the Afghanistan camp towards those three players. Yes. The big, the big kind of conundrum for Ireland is if two of those three fail in a particular game, how the relatively inexperienced, uh, inverted commas, you know, Norkin Tucker, you know, Harry Tector, Garrett Delaney, you know, Curtis Camphor, who are all talented cricketers, the big question mark is how will these guys go about scoring at a decent rate against the quality spin that they're up against, whether it be setting a total or chasing down a total. It's very evident what both sides want to do in this fixture. You know, Afghanistan generally like to get runs on the board and try and strangle in the back in the second half of the game with their spin. Yes. Ireland will look, obviously, to try and get runs on the board as well. And put Afghanistan under pressure in the chase. Afghanistan are not a good chasing side. They do not chase well. When you get that score, when you get that required run rate around five and a half, six, and it goes to six and a half, seven. Um, in the past, uh, particularly people have seen, you know, a bit of a mentality where it's blocker six. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So toss actually very crucial. So for Ireland, it's going to be a, you know, how the big three, O'Brien, Balberni and Sterling, contribute three games. I would think, I would think Balberni, Kevin O'Brien and Sterling, probably each of them need to get a century between them in the series. You know, so there's, that's a big, a big mantra, a big target for those three batsmen. Right, can, can each of you guys get me one century each in this game, in the series? If you can, we're going to have a good chance of chasing down scores around 250, 260. Mm. Or if we bat first, put 250, 260 on the board and put Afghanistan under pressure. Second time around with the ball in hand, right, who's going to be my talisman with the ball? Byron McCarthy takes two wickets on average per ODI. And that's, you know, give or take... He gets two wickets per ODI plays. So without banking on that, there's two wickets, there's five, six wickets of Byron McCarthy almost nailed on. You know, that's what he's done over a 30-game period. I don't see that changing. He's skillful, he's got a big heart, mm. he's got a lot of energy, he brings a lot to the side, he never gives up, he wants the ball in the difficult situation. So there's there's Balberni, one seamer. Spin bowling, right. How can Ireland strangle? the batting line of Afghanistan. It's not going to be through mystery spin. Ireland just don't have mystery spin. Unfortunately, they haven't got a big ripping leg spin. They've got Garrett Delaney, both good leg spin, into the pitch, attacks the stumps, LBW and bowl. Simi Singh will be miserly. He'll, he'll bowl stump to stump. Very rarely gets hit for more than 40. I think his economy rating ODI is in around the fours. 
So, you know, all of a sudden you're starting to put the pieces of the jigsaw together and, you know, it, it alludes to a very, very competitive series. But for Ireland to win the series, I think that batsmen are going to have to have some huge, huge impact and they're going to need a couple of early wickets with the new ball. Try and make that new ball count with whether it be Mark Adair to partner Barry McCarthy or Craig Young with Barry McCarthy once again will be the figurehead with the new ball. I'm actually a very big fan of, of McCarthy myself, to be honest with you, having watched him on a couple of occasions. Um, but, uh, Niall, one, one, or a couple of names you've mentioned, and, and it's obviously very vitally important to have your senior players in the side and because the younger players look up to them and it's also important to have them performing. But are you slightly concerned that the majority of games that have been won by Ireland um, against the, the bigger nations, so to speak, I suppose, if you, for lack of a better word, have been, it, it, it had to be done by your brother Kevin or, uh, you know, a couple of the other, Bell Burnie that you mentioned, Paul Sterling. Is that a concern that we don't see uh, the younger players coming through? I mean, uh, certainly they do chip in. I'm not suggesting that they don't. But would you like to see the younger players, I suppose, uh, take a bit more responsibility and, and win games so that when the older players do decide that it's now time to, to move on to greener pastures, that the younger players will be equipped to deal with pressure situations and winning big games? Oh, yeah, listen, I, I think you want all your players you know, contribute to wins, but I know, I know from being quite close to the, the Ireland setup, you know, obviously I've got yeah. many friends in the team um, and my brothers in the team, so I'm probably, I'm probably privy to more conversation than, and um, information, I suppose, as to how people are playing and... and you know their their thought process. So I'm not wor- no, worried. Worried is a strong word because I know, you know, the likes of Tector is a good cricketer. You know, he is a very very good cricketer. He's got a good technique. He's got a brilliant head on his shoulders for a man of his age. Um, and you know, people who are good, uh, astute judges of cricketers. Someone like Ed Joyce speaks very highly of Tector. So I'm not worried about these guys. I know Delaney's a good cricketer. Gareth Delaney is a fine striker of the ball. He's done it in T20 cricket against the West Indies. He's played the T20 Blast for Leicestershire and had some good success. Played some wonderful innings alive on Sky Sports. Um, you know, Curtis Camperwell, I can't speak highly enough for him, to be honest with you. You know, four ODIs, 350s, you know, five or six wickets. Astonishing, really, start to his international career. So he's obviously got the skill, the technique, and the mental aptitude to succeed at this level. So... You know, I'm not, I'm not worried at all, to be honest with you. I know if you're going to win big games, sometimes you're going to need your big players to, to step up and get other guys chipping in around you. But I'm sure in this situation, this series, there's going to come a time when Graham Ford and Andrew Balberni are going to need a big match-winning performance from the likes of a Tector or a Lorca Tucker, who's there is a bit of pressure on for the wicket-keeping spot, um, or Gareth Delaney or Curtis Camfer. Can one of you... Can one of you youngsters get me 70 not out and get Ireland over the line in a tough run chase against the best in the business? Or can you get Ireland from a 260 par score and get that up to 290 on a top pitch to maybe push the game out of Ireland's reach? Um, so that I think that will be needed very soon. But at the moment, the guys are Sterling, Kevin and Balberni are doing such a good job um, and they're helping these youngsters through these difficult situations that I think the future is pretty bright. I'm not trying to paper over any cracks because mm. I think these youngsters are very good players and I believe in them 
Um, the more game time they get, win, lose, or tie, I think it's all very, very powerful for their development. So powerful that they're leaving the likes of you know, Porterfield at home. Could easily bring Porterfield and have them part of the touring party and maybe bat them at four or five. That's more cautious. I think what Graham Ford and Andrew Balberni doing should be applauded. They're giving young guys opportunity, exposure. And that's the only way you learn. You know, as an ex-player myself, the only way you learn is by being in the middle. Yes. Um, having good days and having good days and bad days and ups and downs and learning from them. And I think that's what Graham Ford and Balberni are doing. And, uh, of course, Graham Ford, a very vast experienced coach, having worked with Sri Lanka, South Africa, and a lot of the South African provincial sides as well. I would imagine his input has been invaluable. Yeah, brilliant coach. Um, you know, as you said, worked with the best, um, highly regarded by many people as, I would say, one of the top five coaches in world cricket. Um you know, I know that's a, that's a big statement to say, but, uh, you know, you ask people that Graham Ford has worked with, you won't have many people saying a bad word about him. And he was my coach at Kent um, way back in the early 2000s, so I know him very well. Uh, when I heard he was potentially involved or getting involved with Ireland and he was headhunted for Ireland, I just spoke to Cricket Ireland and said, you get him, you get him if you can. Whatever, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, you bring Graham Ford on board. So he's been brilliant. Um... And he's passing on his wise wise words. He's a man of few words, actually, for yeah. it, to be fair. Um, he's not someone that's a massive talker. Balberni has taken this team under, under his wing, taken it by the scruff of his neck. Balberni's a very passionate Irishman, very proud man. You know, loves nothing more than playing cricket for Ireland and succeeding. So in the dressing room, the team talks. Balberni will be the, the speaker. Graham Ford will be the thinker. Um, they've got some good senior pros around that. So, um, you know, I think... You know, long may that continue for Graham Ford and Cricket Island. Niall, I want to talk a bit about your career because, um, you know, although you are the older brother, I once read an article where somebody said that the bigger brother sometimes has lived in the shadow of the little brother. And I suppose what they're referring to is those that incredible innings that your brother Kevin played against England 10 years ago in the 2011 World Cup when he absolutely brutalized the England, the English bowling. But you've had some wonderful times of it yourself as well. And I would I be right in saying that probably from an international perspective, perspective that the two games that would stand out for you the most would be Ireland's win over the West Indies back in 2004, which was very special. And then, of course, um, not only the win over, over Pakistan in, in the 2007 World Cup, but the general performance and the consistency that Ireland showed throughout that 2007 World Cup. Yeah, you're very, you're very kind. And um, you know, I'm one of six kids, first and foremost, so don't, wow. don't let your listeners know that there's only two kids. I'm one of six children, and... You know, every one of my siblings um, was a fantastic sports person in their own right. You know, my sister had over 200 caps for Ireland in hockey and, and represented Ireland in cricket at under 23 and under Ireland A in the women's team. So she's probably the toughest and best sports person in our family, truth be told. Well, and my dad. My dad was a wonderful sportsman. Indeed. Professional footballer, yeah. cricket captain for Ireland, provincial hockey player. And I've got three older, three older brothers who are all wonderful hockey players actually and, and very skillful cricketers so uh, first and foremost very lucky to be in such a big family where we had you know sport was running through our veins um, I suppose this in my career was you know first of all very enjoyable I, I enjoyed you know 99.9% of my international and professional career I love cricket I, I, you know, 
I'm passionate about cricket. It's my life. I love watching. I love talking about it. I love sitting around the bar conversing with cricketers new and young and past and present and talking about the modern game and, and how, how the game is developing. I suppose the game in 2004 against the Windies was cool. It was, it was a, you know, playing against Brian Lara and we lost the game previously, so we needed a win to level the series. And I played nicely. I must say I was very happy how I played that day. I was, I was still a bit wet behind the ears in terms of my international career. I've been playing for two or three years. But um, that was a that was a really pleasing innings. Um, Pakistan in 07 was, you know, the whole World Cup in 2007 was just, you know, one of the best two months of my life. It was, we had a wonderful team, you know, brilliant teammates, not an ego in sight, you know, nobody, nobody had any ulterior motive. We just wanted to play cricket, win cricket matches, you know, win the hearts of the people in the Caribbean and, and show people in Ireland what we could do as a cricket nation. Cricket in Ireland was still an unknown thing mm, back, in, yeah. back in those days. Nobody really knew much about it. But you know, by the end of Paddy's Day in 2007, every taxi man in Ireland was a cricket expert. Every barman could tell you everything there was about Andre Botha and his slower ball and his, you know, his skills and could tell you everything there was to know about Owen Morgan and his batting prowess. So yeah, that, was a, that, was a, that was a great day for Irish cricket and a great kind of couple of months and put us on the map. My own form leading into that Pakistan, Pakistan game was terrible. You know, I was playing, I was batting the worst I'd batted probably in two or three years. I couldn't buy a run. We went to, we had to Kenya before that t- tournament and um, played, a, played a bit of a, a tournament there. I couldn't get a run. You know, I, I was keeping wicket fine, but my form at the bat was really, really poor. And a couple of warm-up games in, in the Caribbean when I got, I think, 16 against South Africa, stand corrected and then 16 or 15 against Canada there were my two warm-up games I got out the same way in both games trying to run the ball down the third man nicking off the keeper you know a West Indian fan came up to me and told me to stop trying to run the ball down the third man play with a straighter bat so there my mind was muddled yeah you know Zimbabwe two days before the Pakistan game I didn't get many I think I got I got two um Elton Chickenborough nicked me off the great man Elton um Brendan Taylor took a fairly routine catch and um, to be honest with you, the day before Pakistan game, I didn't even have a bad at practice. I was in that poor form. I felt that much out of Nick. Um, I told the coach, because I, um, I was quite a fiery cricketer, I said to the coach, listen, A.D. Burrell, I'm not batting today in practice. I'm not having a net. I'm playing too badly. All I'm going to do is wind myself up and frustrate myself and get annoyed. So I did my wicketkeeping practice as I always did. I loved that. And... Uh, I went out and did some shadow batting on the pitch. You know, I had a look at the pitch, and there's a picture of me somewhere on the archives. I'm standing in the middle of the Sabina Park pitch with my shorts on, top off, and my baggy hat on, visualising my innings. And um, for some reason, things just clicked on Paddy's Day, I must say. Uh, we were off for rain, and I went down to the back of the car park with Lady Burrow. I said, give me some throwdowns. I was batting on a bit of, you know, literally car park, just stones and rubble hitting some full tosses into the net. And uh, some Pakistan fans walked past me and they just laughed at me as if to say, what kind of preparation is this before going out to bat? Something clicked. I got one out in the middle early and you know, my, my career kind of catapulted and went on the onward trajectory from there on in. So uh, it's a funny old game, cricket. You can practice all day. You can do everything right. You can get a good ball or a bad, a bad decision. But sometimes the best is just to leave things to, to faith. And um, you know, thankfully that day, um, I found the middle and uh, played a I played a pretty good knock. 
Yeah, I'm, I, you know, Niall, one thing that really stood out, and I, because we're doing this conversation via Zoom, I guess we're going to have to wrap up pretty shortly because you only get given 30 minutes grace. But um, one thing I, okay. I, I'd like to talk about is how Ireland then progressed. So in the 2007 World Cup, you had this wonderful combination. As you mentioned, Andre Botha was there. There were a couple of other South Africans and Australians. What I then, what I then personally thought was it was so nice to see uh, in the 2011 World Cup was that there were a, a lot more Irish players who were playing for Ireland. And of course, I have to, I mean, there's no disrespect intended to any of the Aussies and South Africans and, you know, wherever else the players may have come from. So it seemed to me that because of that 2007 success and c consistency of Ireland in that World Cup, suddenly there were a whole bunch more, you know, Irish-born Irish cricketers representing the country in the next World Cup, which must have been... I suppose very nice, generally speaking, just for Ireland to see that players were now beginning to come up through the various systems that were put in place by Cricket Ireland. Yeah, definitely. And you know, you look at someone like George Dockerell and Paul Sterling, two examples. You know, they they watched that win against uh, Pakistan on St Patrick's Day, probably, you know, after school or you know they were probably still in school that stage, and you know they've got vivid memories of watching Ireland beat Pakistan and thinking, right, I can, I can get to the next World Cup. So I think that series, that tournament in 2007 really did help develop Irish cricket. In the early 2000s, of course, there was the Celtic Tiger, the boom in Ireland, and people were coming from all corners of the world, you know, whether it be New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, um, to work, you know, to earn money. Yeah, and that's yeah. how most of those guys came about. You know, both, uh, you know, Langford, Smith, Johnson, they came over as, you know, people who were playing cricket, but uh, not necessarily with the inclination to play for Ireland. It was to go over and play cricket, earn an income, get a job, stay in Ireland. And um, that was down to the Celtic Tiger, pretty much. So then, obviously, the success on the field, success breeds success, as they say. And, uh, you know, thankfully, um, you know, there's not that many people coming in from overseas. I think if someone wants to move to Ireland and has a desire to play for Ireland and goes through the process and performs on the pitch at domestic level, they should be open they should be embraced and welcomed in. Like, yes. like Simi Singh moved to Ireland from um, Mahali, I think, from Chandigarh, potentially. Moved to Ireland to study, went to university, got a job, enjoyed Ireland, enjoyed his cricket, and now he's playing for Ireland and doing well. So, um, yeah, there are opportunities there for people to come and play, but uh, looking at all the Ireland underage setups now, there's an un unbelievable talent coming through. You know, from right from under 11s all the way up to the Wolves, Talent is coming through the system, and um, you know we're going to see more and more players with the caliber of Paul Sterling and Kevin O'Brien and the Ed Joyce of this world coming through the ranks in the next 10, 15 years. Niall O'Brien, it's been a joy and pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. We love your commentary. We loved your fiery attitude uh, that you that you had <laughs> as a cricketer. It, it, you certainly have. You gave us a lot of joy as a cricketer. You continue to give us huge amounts of joy as a commentator. May you continue to grow from strength to strength as a commentator, you and your family, and uh, you know as, as players as well. And may I Ireland continue to grow from strength to strength. And as a Zimbabwean, I sincerely hope that one day we'll have a full three-test match, five one-day international and three T20 match series between Zimbabwe and Ireland. That, I think, would be absolutely wonderful. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I look forward to that day as well. Thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, Nile O'Brien. You've been listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast, and we'll be back again with another podcast pretty soon. But until then, stay safe and goodbye. 
been listening to Thank Dean you so much, Stumps, now. That was awesome. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast. 